Welcome to the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast with me, your host, Danny Kennedy, and you're listening to episode number 48. What's up, guys? On today's show, I was very lucky to be joined by Steve Hall um, from the UK. Steve's an extremely knowledgeable guy um, when it comes to nutrition, training, um, bodybuilding, and online coaching. So it was an absolute pleasure to have him on the show today, and I hope you guys enjoyed the content that we got. Um, We got a lot of gold in today's episode, so again, just sit back, relax, uh, and enjoy this week's episode. Hey guys, welcome to this week's episode. As I mentioned, um, we're extremely lucky to have Steve on the show today. So Steve, first of all, welcome to the show, mate, all the way from the UK. Thank you very much for having me on. It's an honor. Appreciate you taking the time to um, speak to, to speak to my audience today. So to kick things off, I'll just get you to, to say a little bit about yourself, what you do, um, and, and kind of what you're all about. Cool. So I guess uh, it's... If someone was to ask me what I do, it depends on who kind of asks me because I'm always a bit like, um, I give them this answer of I'm an online personal trainer and they're like, oh, so you're a personal trainer. I'm like, yeah, but I only work online. Um, I don't work one-on-one. So yeah, I I own revivestronger.com that provides online personal training to mostly more intermediate to advanced bodybuilders and powerlifters or people who are interested in those sort of things. Um, which is essentially nutrition and training programming um, online over the internet. And uh, I kind of use revivestronger.com as a place to provide content and value to a wide audience as possible. have my own podcast myself, uh, have my own kind of um, blog, which has a blog posts going out every week. And uh, yeah, that's kind of in a nutshell what I do. Um, I work one-on-one with clients. I've now got a new coach, Pascal, who's come on board, who's going to help uh, allow us to grow further. I myself have competed in bodybuilding and powerlifting, uh, and I'm in my second contest prep at the moment, which I'm kind of enjoying. And it's a journey like nothing else again. And uh, my background, I've always been in sport, always loved kind of fitness and health, and I guess I don't want to go too far into the depth of how things happened, but Revive Stronger, that name all came about because I suffered quite a severe head injury uh, when I was at university. And that left me in quite a bad state for a a long period of time. And I I really, I mean, I could have died. It was actually quite fatal. Um, And I kind of don't look upon it as a big deal now, but it, it was. But I found the gym, I found nutrition, I found those sort of elements to help build myself back up, uh, build my confidence back up and kind of get back into life. And that is where my passion, especially for bodybuilding and strength training really grew from because I just gained so much confidence out of being able to see the body change and use nutrition and training to really develop it in some amazing ways. And that was my then passion to help other people who felt a bit stuck, a bit lost, and I think there's a great deal of people that do feel that way and should try and help them. So, yeah, in a nutshell, that's kind of what I'm about. Uh, I love pizza, I love coffee, all those usual <laughs> things. Um, enjoy those far too much, I think. Yeah, don't worry, guys. He's normal He's normal like the rest of us. But uh, that's, that's, <laughs> a, that's a crazy story, man. And, um, you know, you've obviously come up with the perfect name after hearing that story. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't I, I just, yeah, revive... I think there are quite a few revived brands, so I was like, how can I make this a bit more kind of weight training, yep. bodybuilding, powerlifting, chuck on stronger, that always makes things good. <laughs> Definitely. And guys, as, as always, um, 
with all Steve's social media pages, um, his website, um, his blog, his podcast. I'll have all that in the um, in the description box or in the show notes below. Um, Steve's an extremely knowledgeable guy, and there's tons of articles I want you guys to have a look through. So at the end of the episode, be sure to check out um, all the links to those um, so you don't miss any of that. Um, but, but Steve, the first real question I kind of wanted to get into, um, so this week in Melbourne, we've got the Arnold Classic coming up, um, which is always oh, yeah. a really good, I guess, um, indicator of where i think anyway where the fitness industry is at when you go to these expos and see um kind of what's happening and if it's Mm. growing and stuff like that so what where do you think the uh the fitness industry is at currently and and i guess why or how has it kind of got to where it is at the moment in your opinion anyway yeah so i think it's really interesting because you are probably and i am part of this little niche in which is kind of this evidence-based science is kind of the way to go and using those sort of elements. Whereas I think in kind of the majority of the population, they don't really use science to a great degree or it's very much misused and you misinterpreted and you see these studies coming out where basically anything can give you cancer, anything can kill you. And these things still come out and kind of there's still things coming out where calories are seen as not important and it's actually kind of food quality. And as soon as you think that we're making a, like a hedgeway uh, into kind of bringing out good information and there's people like Alan Aragon, Brad Schoenfeld who are doing publications for kind of men's health and things like that, which is massive. And then you see these things come out all the time yeah. uh, and you see big kind of uh, names. Well, big in the UK at the moment is the body coach, Joe Wick. So I know it also toured around Australia. Yep. And although it's not like he's putting out particularly bad information, it's just very mixed and I think actually at the moment, if I could say anything, it's, it, at, there seem, it's a kind of like an awkward growth spur in the industry in which there's kind of some science and there's some bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> and it's kind of like giving out a bit of a, a, a hard message to the reader because, I, I mean, for example, I read blog posts and I'm like, there's some good information in there, but there's some also really bad misinformation in there. But because it's mixed... And because there is scientific literature referenced, I think a lay person reading that would be like thinking it's all legit. And then it becomes very hard to decipher what's good, what's bad. So I still think think there's a long, long way to go. And people like you, me, and kind of anyone listening to this, we need to still beat the dogma because I think it's a kind of a perpetual thing. But I do think think the scientific kind of evidence-based crowd is growing. I do think people are starting to look towards kind of the big overriding principles more and more, uh, but I still think there's a long way to go. How about what? You, what are you thinking, Danny? Yeah, I agree 100, percent man. Like I definitely have seen a shift in the last, you know, I would say probably 24 months um, around about that. Uh, like you said, with more and more evidence-based research becoming popular, I guess, or people actually taking the time now to look into the way they're training, the way they're eating um, and not kind of just go with what's been habit or what's what's been in all the fitness magazines for so many years now. People are actually kind of, you know, like having a look into it and like I said, reading blog posts, reading, um, reading some evidence-based stuff, which is really good to see. But then also, like you said, there's always a for and against for everything and there's always new stuff coming out. So, um, you know, you might read an article that uh, has something to do with, you know, let's just say, you know, the typical clean eating, um, which which is, I guess, clean eating and flexible dieting or if it fits your macros is seems to be like the biggest debate 
in the nutrition side of things, but you might read an article on clean eating, um, which half of it you're thinking to yourself, this is absolute bullshit and this is what we're trying to kind of move away from, but then there'll be parts in it which talk about getting nutrient-dense foods, getting in good quality proteins and, and all that type of stuff, which you then agree with. So then it's kind of mm-hmm. hard, like you said, to really recommend or or read through a blog and go, yeah, this is really good. I want my clients or, or my audience to read through it. But then, you, like you said, you're not going to send them there because then there's also stuff that they just should completely ignore. So it's kind of hard. But uh, I, I think over the, like I said, and like you also mentioned after the, uh, the last, you know, yeah, year or two, I think it's becoming, um, people are becoming more aware of um, of all this kind of old school stuff, which is, is a little bit outdated and there's there's um, research to back it up mm-hmm. definitely um, so for, for those that have looked through your website they would know that you that you do a lot of stuff on fat loss um, and and for those that haven't like I said I, I'd like you to go and have a look at, um, at Steve's website um, but when starting a fat loss phase whether it be yourself or a client how much time do you recommend someone takes to get in in peak condition and um, do you want to briefly discuss also, um, which which is on your website, the primer phase, which which you talk about. Yeah, so I think uh, it will definitely differ person to person, because as we know, I mean, we know, and the audience will know that a calorie deficit is king. Initially, you need to kind of get that into place, and you need to think about all these foundational things first of all, making sure you've got like an appropriate rate of loss um, and those sort of elements in place, and also I think having I think. The question you've asked is something a lot of people don't consider in that how long are you going to diet for? Yeah. Do they have any sort of idea, any plan, any kind of idea of, okay, actually kind of dieting for a year nonstop probably is going to be pretty un- unsustainable, not possible. Exactly. And this is where the kind of primer phase sort of elements settle in. And I think even if you are very overweight, there's still mechanisms within the body that fight you dropping fat I mean they don't come in at a big degree till quite a number of kind of months in but they do because we have something called our body fat set point um, or body fat settling point and this is all to do with basically there's a body fat your body likes to be at so if you I think La McDonald talks about this in it in that it's like a thermostat within a house uh, so you set it at a certain temperature. If it gets hot, then the aircon will come on. If it gets cold, then the heating will come on. And whatever happens, the, the house will try and sustain this certain temperature. So the body's very much the same. It, everyone has this kind of body fat set point uh, or settling point, which includes environmental factors, just this the body fat it likes to be at. And so it will fight. The further you try and take it away from that, the, the further it will fight. So... Um, after a while, when you have been losing fat and you are getting away from where your body likes to be at that kind of homeostasis yep. set point, it will kind of fire up mechanisms to fight against that. Your hunger will become very unsustainable. It'll be kind of willing to binge. Your energy levels will come very low. Your performance in the gym will come down. You'll get much more efficient at just doing daily life activities. You'll get more lazy. You'll sit on the couch more than kind of standing. All of these elements will become kind of really, really quite large and therefore you'll probably hit a plateau. Yeah. And for most people, I think that probably settles in around three to four months in. That's assuming they've kind of done everything right. They haven't kind of been binging during that time or taking loads of kind of breaks 
away from things, if they've been kind of quite consistent for three or four months and they've lost a great deal of weight, which they, they definitely could do in that time, that's when something like a primer phase at which you bring calories up back to a maintenance intake and you really let that diet fatigue that's built up over time dissipate and yeah. then you hold that weight for around a month and that hopefully has kind of shifted your body fat set point downwards slightly to make life a lot easier, a lot more sustainable when you get back into a diet, if that is what you want to do. And I think whether you're a contest bodybuilder or if you've got like a lot of fat to shift, I think doing this after three or four months is something very beneficial because we, as we know, there's more research coming out that short periods of kind of eating at maintenance, like refeeds of one to two days, yeah. they're not having significant impacts in yeah. terms of kind of allowing that diet fatigue to dissipate. They're very short-lived, whereas if you can have a whole month eating at maintenance, for sure your body yeah. is going to feel a lot more recovered. A lot of these kind of diet fatigue factors are going to have dissipated and you're, you're going to start feeling energetic again. Your hunger is not going to be so unsustainable. Your training will feel much better. You'll feel much more... Um, recovered and so you'll be in a much better position to keep going I kind of refer it to like a long journey like if we if I was to take a flight to Australia and we tried to fly the whole way we'd probably crash because we'd run out of fuel or people would get pissed off because it's like they need to go and stretch their legs yeah so there's a stopover in like Dubai so you have that stopover that the pilot can change the, so we get a better pilot in place who's more awake and you can go and stretch your legs and the, the airplane can be refueled so we can then have a short stopover to go again and it be a much smoother journey. Uh, I do see people and I think this is where a lot of people run into problems when they just continue to try and lose fat forever and ever and ever mm -hmm. and they just then stall, binge and they start all over again. They crash and burn and they have to start the journey again. So yeah, that's kind of where the primer phase comes in which is that period in time where you allow your training volume to come down slightly because you're going to have been training with pretty high volumes that are pretty unsustainable. You allow your calories to come back up to maintenance. So you drop masses of fatigue via those two mechanisms, um, which really puts you in good stead for going forward. Yeah, That's kind of like a brief summary of yeah, the that, that's really I'd good. like to see. That's really good. And cool. guys, Steve made a, a really good point there. That's not, it's not only just for bodybuilders or physique competitors. That's for your every everyday Joe that's doing a transformation over an extended period of time. Yes, it's you know, the first few months you're gonna see some really good results, but it's just inevitable that at some stage your body is gonna reach a plateau. It's gonna reach a point where, as Steve mentioned, it's got like a set point. It's not you're not just gonna be able to lose fat forever eating in a calorie deficit um, for the rest of your life. It just doesn't work like that. And to an extent, I guess, uh, the primer phase, would you say it's it's similar, obviously, a longer period of time, but to like a diet break, that seems to be becoming relatively popular as well with, with prep coaches now, um, especially the the evidence-based or evidence-backed um, prep coaches that are getting their clients to uh, diet for an extended or a longer period of time, but then giving them a diet break um, at certain periods when they get to that point where training shit, they feel crap they're not losing fat and um, they're just in a bad place yeah completely it's, it's basically an extended diet break yeah um which yeah it could I, I like to see it go for a month in length just because that's kind of like a nice period of time for training and you can be for sure all of those dietary fatigue factors have gone whereas a diet break for a week I think those can be very, very helpful. Um, but after a while, once you've even been using those, you've been dieting a very long time, I think 
all of that fatigue builds up to a point at which a week isn't enough yeah. and you really need to clean stuff up. You really need to allow that, that fatigue to go away. Yeah, cool. Um, just quickly, you, you mentioned about you know starting a diet or a prep um, in the correct way. Do you prescribe cardio, uh, cardio for your clients at the beginning of their diet if they haven't been doing any um, before they started? So, yeah, that will be really, really individual, um, as, as I'm sure you would think. Uh, so, I mean, some people, it depends on their day job. If they're like a builder, they're already doing like a lot of low-intensity style kind of cardio, as it were, um, through the day. Or if they're on their feet like a personal trainer throughout the day, they're doing a lot of kind of low-intensity style stuff. And they probably don't need – they're probably on good calories and they don't need those kind of that, that extra – boost of calories by yeah. having some taken up by the cardio burn. Um, something I, I, I probably alluded to slightly there is that I don't tend to ever give hit uh, high intensity interval training. I find that the performance loss that you get because of the, the it takes away from your recovery from your weight training isn't worth kind of the kind of less interference because it's similar to weight training, but yeah. because it's similar, it also takes away from your weight training potentially. So I like to stay away from that and I know the benefits of kind of the afterburn and things like that are very much overstated uh, in that it's just not as big as people make out. You're not going to be burning shed loads more calories by doing some hit. So I do definitely lean towards a list and I generally try and see if the client wants to put any in. Um, if they're not doing anything, they're quite sedentary, then it's definitely something I'd recommend anyway because yeah. it will help just recovery. It will help them in terms of keeping those kind of fat uh, mobilization pathways slightly active potentially and just keep them a bit healthier. So I like to have them doing some anyway. Yeah. Um, but if they are maybe small, at small sedentary particularly, that's where it might be like, right, we should probably include some tag-on lists during the week, low-intensity style training um, or cardio yeah. so that they can eat a bit more. Whereas a lot of guys will just prefer to eat a bit less because you can be guaranteed, especially like if you drop 100 calories, you can be guaranteed that's 100 calories less you're having. Whereas if you include 100 calories of cardio, I mean, in that time, you're still burning calories. So maybe you net 80 calories and then depending on the person, they could just get 80 calories more lazy during the day. So they just become yeah, more great. sedentary. And so cardio is a, a dodgy one to really think that you're, you don't get as much bang for your buck I don't think as by dropping calories so it's not something I would definitely include at the start it's nothing I think is necessary a calorie deficit is definitely necessary cardio is not so it tends to be included if the person kind of has a preference for it or if I think it would help them um, adhere better to the, the overall diet yeah and again Steve makes another great point guys which is something that we talk about on the show all the time and it's also come up with a number of guests is that that cardio does not lead to fat loss. Like that's not the answer to fat loss. As, as Steve mentioned, it's a calorie deficit. Um, it's your energy expenditure and if you feel like adding in cardio or you need to add in cardio to get that energy expenditure um, and to put yourself in a fur further uh, calorie deficit, then so be it. Um, but especially at the start of a, a dieting phase or, or, or a fat loss phase, it's really not necessary to throw in, especially large amounts of cardio to lose fat because um, you're gonna put yourself in a really shitty position once you reach that kind of, um, that fat, that body fat set point, especially because you've really got, I wouldn't say nowhere to go, but you've got a lot less mm -hmm. room to move. Um, Steve, 
in regards to nutrition with your clients, are you, do you prescribe them or do you get them to follow flexible dieting or hit macros or what, what do you kind of um, set up in that regard? So yeah, totally. I, I am not a registered dietitian. I can't give them meal plans. So I really like to give them flexibility via macronutrients. So I kind of call it macronutrient-guided flexible dieting or something along those lines. But essentially, yeah, they have their, their protein, carbs, and fat ranges to land within, um, which gives them calories and then also prescribe fiber recommendations and kind of this number of fruit and veg per thousand calories and those sort of recommendations to make sure they're eating sufficient kind of nutrient-dense foods. Um, and the flexibility, I think a lot of people view the flexibility as eating junk or having not nutrient-dense foods, whereas I kind of view it as there's lots of ways to be flexible in that some of my clients will hit protein and calories only. Um, some of the clients will have kind of big ranges on some of their macronutrients, whereas other clients will have much tighter ranges. So it's very much the, the flexibility comes in within that. And then even flexibility in terms of do I give them macros to hit every day for the week and just hit a weekly average? Or do I have kind of training day macros and then rest day macros? And yeah. all of those things change depending on the person, depending on their scenario. Um, but yeah, definitely, I, I, I think you're not doing kind of your client justice if you're not using kind of macronutrients and those sort of things, especially if they're like the people I work with, that is what they work best with. Um, they're kind of already have been using my fitness pal yeah. and they just want more direction. Whereas obviously if, if they're a bit new to those sort of things or if they, they haven't used my fitness pal before or if they're not kind of very serious about their goals, which isn't people I work with, and then kind of using this approach probably is a bit too strict or a bit too much for them. Yeah. And they probably, for them, they probably would recommend actually starting with macros but building a meal plan and then just finding a meal plan exactly that kind right. of works for them. Exactly right. And for those who are listening that have not tried it and it does sound a bit too daunting, you know, talking about macros on different days, all the, all the different micronutrients, fiber, all that type of stuff, guys, I'd highly recommend just giving it a go because I've had – a number of clients that have had absolutely no idea about nutrition and within the span of say two to three weeks they've completely got the hang of it it's not hard to do mm. it just takes time and practice um like anything else um th this next question uh is something i covered on my my facebook page today so guys if you haven't seen the video that i put up um today about transitioning from a diet phase into a gaining phase so uh i guess the question is if you've got a client that's transitioning from an extended period in a calorie deficit, so a dieting phase, into a gaining phase, um, which which most people would know can be quite hard mentally, what do you find helps um, to change that mental shift from getting shredded, I guess, to then putting on body weight um, and putting on muscle mass and seeing the scales go in the opposite direction? Yeah, it, it is really hard. And that's really interesting that you've brought that up because I find – a lot of the clients I work with are that sort of client that does struggle with seeing the scale go up, whether or not it's right after a fat loss phase or not, just any time they struggle seeing the scale go up. And recently within my own clients, I posted in a kind of video talking about how I've struggled with it and how I've tried to overcome it. And I got them to just interact within there and kind of some of them have definitely got their heads around it. Other people and currently struggling with it so it's definitely something a lot of people struggle with the idea of gaining weight whereas a lot of people would be like i mean people listen to this who aren't maybe into bodybuilding and those sort of aspects will probably be listening and be like 
what's the struggle with gaining weight? Why would you ever struggle gaining weight? And it's not the people struggle to eat food or any of those aspects. It is the struggle with, oh my gosh, I'm losing my abs. Uh, I'm not looking as lean. I'm losing cuts. And they don't like the idea of adding fat. And I think a big thing that helped a lot of my clients was accepting that fat gain was part of the process. And that has that almost has to happen. So you need to get fluffy to look kind of more muscular in future and focusing on that long-term process and that that has to happen and kind of just accepting that and once you can accept that you can kind of move on and focus on things like performance in the gym your performance is going up because you're eating more you're getting stronger your kind of your lifts are going in the in the right direction you can be more flexible with your food you can be much more social you can eat out more those aspects are really, really beneficial. You just need to focus less on kind of the physique in that period of time, less looking in the mirror every day and kind of trying to look for your abs. Kind of accept that that's going to happen, that they're going to maybe kind of fade away a little bit and just embrace the performance benefits, the social benefits and embrace the long-term goal and really focus on the process each day. Um, But yeah, it's definitely a struggle. It's something I've actually written about. I wrote a blog post called Adipusphobia, which I just made up kind of fit the fat fit. Um, and I experienced it myself because obviously I've been contest lean and then coming out of that. And I transitioned very slowly. And it took me a very long time to accept that I'd need to gain fat to put on significant amounts of muscle. Yeah. And that especially as you're more advanced, it becomes almost impossible to gain any appreciable amount of muscle without gaining appreciable amounts of fat as well. The final thing I'd want to say on that is the, the fact is, um, mini cuts or even just aggressive short dieting periods are incredibly successful. And all of my clients have gone through very successful fat loss periods and they know how easy it is to lose fat if they get everything nailed. And that process is done quick and easy, whereas muscle gain um, and fat gain comes on slowly as well and it's much harder. So just know that, okay, if you do get a bit fatter than you like, it's easy to cut down and we're never going to get to a point in which you're like super fat and obese. It's only going to be like you just look less lean compared to what you did before. Exactly right. And just to add to that, I think the main thing I tried to get across in my video today to, to my audience was you got to think of your, your gaining phase, guys, as an improvement phase. So not so much about gaining or bulking, um, but improving because whenever you're in a calorie deficit or you're in a cut and you're trying to get shredded, that's the reward for the work that you've put in in your improvement stage to actually show off the, the improvements you've made to your physique because if you don't take your gaining phase seriously and you don't actually improve, then you can spend all the time you want in a calorie deficit, but you're not going to look any different. Um, if anything, you'll probably look worse if you're spending more time in a deficit um, than a gaining phase. And that kind of leads me on to one of my other questions is what what do you recommend in regards to um, in in regards to times gaining, in sorry, time spent gaining compared to time in a deficit. So, like between mm-hmm. shows for a competitor, or you know, just uh, a general general uh, population who wants to get lean. How long do you get them to spend? Um, I guess improving or, or gaining or increasing their calories afterwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think you no, know, you touched on a really good point in that it's like an investment. You have to invest for a long period of time to see kind of things accrue and see improvements because if you keep trying to like not really save, not really invest and then spend, you're not going to have anything more to spend. You're not going to have anything better. Whereas if you invest, 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 
then you spend, you're going to see you kind of, you can spend a lot and you're going to get much more for your money. Um, but yeah, that's a really good point. And I think generally because we know fat loss is a lot quicker and muscle gain takes a lot longer, I think a ratio of like four to one is probably quite good. So like four months gaining and then maybe you take one month to chop that fat off. I think that sort of ratio and always, always biasing time building is always necessary because it's just a longer process. Um, so people must, must do that. Um, and you can kind of drop in those intermittent kind of mini cuts, month long, strip off that fat. And that will actually potentiate you going forward because you'll be leaner, you'll more, be more insulin sensitive to gain more muscle again. And um, rather than, I, I don't really like really long extended bulks in which you get really quite like fat, maybe yeah. 16, 18% body fat, because then you've got a cut for a very long period of time. Uh, whereas if you can do kind of like half the length of gaining, but then a shortcut, then you can just keep cycling between those. And then people feel better for it. You actually see better quality muscle gained. Um, and yeah, that process works really well. Uh, did you ask, was there a second point to that question? I can't remember. Um, no, 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 that was it. That was it, I think. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, all right. What did I want to ask next? Oh, that's that's it. So, so I was actually going to ask you about, um, in regards to fat loss or or muscle gain, um, how much importance the scales has. But I actually want to ask a different question before we finish up the show. So, guys. I know I've already mentioned a couple of times, but head to head to Steve's website, um, and it's I think it's one of your most recent recent blog posts, yeah, about the scales. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So definitely check that out and have a look at some of the points um, Steve makes in that because I know a lot of the listeners struggle with, as we mentioned, with the scales, whether it's during a fat loss or muscle gain phase. Um, so check that out. But Steve, make this, finishing this off with a question a little bit more specific to bodybuilding. Um, I guess at the moment over here with season A um, in full swing for, for physique and bodybuilding competing and also season B coming up, what do you think the do's and don'ts are for a first-time competitor? I know the list is probably never-ending, but what, do you th- what are your main, main bits of advice for a first-time competitor? So I think for a first-time competitor, the biggest thing I'd say is to give yourself time. I think there is, just like we were saying, that it's kind of the more evidence-based and all of that stuff is leaking into the main fitness industry. I think first-time competitors and the kind of knowledge that it takes more time to get stage conditioned is slowly getting there and people are looking less at maybe 12-week preps. They're looking more towards 16, 18, 20-week preps, even some people going up to 30 weeks. And so that would be my number one would be Give yourself plenty of time, especially as a first-time competitor, because you don't know how your body's going to react when you get to those kind of really lean levels. If you've never been there, you don't know how much of a stall or how much of a, a kind of a stumble you'll have at that point. And so the more time you can give, the more time you can give towards the things we've talked about, like diet breaks, uh, even maintenance periods, primer phases. If you can drop those in, they really help you get to those kind of conditioning levels that you really want to get to. Exactly. Um, I think... And just, sorry, just I, sorry. Quickly, to, quickly to interrupt. Um, when we're talking also about, you know, 12 weeks plus of prep, you got to keep in mind, um, depending on what time of the year you're competing, it, it's extremely likely that at some stage throughout that 
that prep, you're going to get sick, whether it be, you know, as annoying as it might be, it might be food poisoning, it might be a cold, it might be something like that. So if you're giving yourself a longer period of time, you're also allowing for things like that to happen or even something like a small strain in a muscle from training or something like that. But if you're prepping for 10 weeks um, or even 12 weeks and then you have to miss three or four of those because of uh, an injury or a week or two because you're sick, um, you know, that then that brings it down to eight or 10 weeks and it's really just not enough time. Totally, that's a great point. Life happens, like, and you can't be, you can't control every single variable in your life. You can't. Things happen. Things get in the way. Um, however, if you pl- you can almost like if I give an example, I know myself. I've got weddings, birthdays coming this year, but I'm prepping for shows. So all I've done is I've planned ahead of time. Okay, I'm going to drop a deload when I'm away for that wedding, or I'm going to drop in kind of a, a, a deload and diet break for that period of time. I know. I've got a primer phase even programmed in and that's over my mum's birthday in which we're going away for two weeks. So it's kind of like these little things that you can do rather than kind of if I tried to have a much shorter prep and didn't plan around these things, I'd either have to be a social outcast and really upset some people uh, and stress myself out or kind of I wouldn't be able to do the shows because you wouldn't be ready in time. So Yeah. yeah, time is huge and I think... An element of that is, I think, for a first-time competitor, having a coach will really help. It's kind of like having a, a walkthrough guide to a new game because when you start that new game and you don't even know the controls, you don't have to do anything, You just it takes you hours and days, weeks, like ages to even get anywhere. Whereas if you have a walkthrough guide, you're like, oh, this is what I do here. This is kind of the, the controls I use here. This is how I defeat this boss here. And that's exactly what a coach will do for you. They'll be that walkthrough guide. They'll help you get through plateaus. And a big part of them is also just having that, not just the accountability and the guidance, but the reassurance that you're doing the right thing. So like you said in that recent article with the body weight, it's really quite a mindfuck at times with the scale, especially when you are getting lean, because you don't really know... Like, okay, you might be visually looking leaner, you might be performing well in the gym, but if the scale's not going in the right direction, you might be convinced that you yeah. need to drop calories further. Yeah, that mindset could raise changes your cortisol sure. levels, that could make you look hold on to more water, that could make you lose more muscle and you actually look worse. Whereas if you have a coach who's been there, done that, they can guide you through those processes, that can be invaluable to a first time competitor. Yeah, awesome. That's really good advice. Um yeah, perfect. That's pretty much exactly everything I would have said. And definitely time, in my opinion, is probably the biggest the biggest one there. Um, and even if you haven't, you know, for example, if you're currently prepping at the moment um, and you have given yourself enough time uh, and you get to the point where you're halfway through or a quarter of the way through and you just don't see things happening how you thought they would, um, you now still have time to hire a coach or to get yeah. advice from someone um, and keep things on track because you've given yourself enough time. Yeah, totally. And then just like small details, like make sure you know what's on the band's substance list, make sure you know the mandatory poses and practice that posing kind of quite far out because you don't want to, I mean, the worst thing is stepping on stage and not knowing how to hit the poses properly because you could be shredded. But if you don't know how to tense muscles in like the correct way, you don't know how to create like an X um, on stage, you will look nothing you someone less conditioned less muscular could beat you if they know how to pose so those are some things that i definitely make sure you're you're aware of the poses you need to hit how to hit them and practice those as well 
Definitely, definitely. Well, Steve, thanks so much for coming on the show today, mate. Um, really appreciate you taking the time to um, speak to listeners. Um, I'm, I'm sure you'll get a ton of the audience having a look at some of your blog posts and stuff. So, guys, leave leave a comment if you get some um, some value out of out of his post. But if you if you've got nothing else to add, man, we might wrap things up. No, awesome. Thank you so much for having me on. I hope your audience gets something from our chat. And if they do have any kind of questions from any of the articles, they can uh, actually the best place is probably to join my free Facebook group, which is probably linked within the articles or on the website. And they can drop a question in there. And I'm more than happy to answer it and help them. And yeah, I hope they get some kind of good information from things. So yeah, thanks so much, Danny, for having me on. Brilliant. All right, guys, hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Um, as always, if this is your first episode um, and you have enjoyed it, check out some of the uh, the previous ones and hit that subscribe button if you want to hear future episodes. Uh, thanks for listening. Hope you're having a great day, and uh, we'll chat to you next week.